you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. At your name, the mountains shake and crumble. At your name, the oceans roar and tumble. At your name, the angels will bow, the earth will rejoice, your people cry out. Oh, Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name. The morning breaks in glory At your name Creation sings your story At your name The angels will bow The earth will rejoice your people cry out, oh Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout. 
like our God. Oh, there is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. everybody. I think it's it's on this beautiful three-day weekend. I hope you are enjoying yourself. Welcome home. Uh, we are glad to have you here. Uh, if you'll take your worship guide, I have a few announcements I'd like to make. One is, it's so good to have Kaylin here. <laughs> you guys not know who she is? Come here. Come here. This is one of ours. We helped raise her. Her parents did a fine job, but we helped raise her. And this young lady walks with God and is learning how to how to uh, fly a helicopter. Yes. You're going to have to say it louder because my microphone, no, you know what, that's going to get creepy. Let's just do this. So you're going to fly a helicopter, right? Yes. There it is. <laughs> there it is, a public speaker and everything, just like her mama. But thank you for playing today. She plays, she, where do you go to church right now? I go to a church in Euless, Texas, which is like North Texas. Um, it's called Cross City Church, and it's a little bit bigger than this. There's a few Christians in Euless, Texas as well, <laughs> and you play the drums twice a month, right? Yeah, about twice a month at a young adults, like, singles group on Thursday nights, so cool. it's really fun. <laughs> Thank you. You did very well. Now, she did not know we were going to do that, but you know what? We, we, we raise people, we disciple them, we send them out to serve the Lord, and Kaylin is part of that. And uh, So keep praying, keep being involved, keep... Keep offering yourself to serve and disciple, and, uh, and we'll see what the Lord does. What, what a privilege. So thanks for being here. If you're online, thank you for watching today. If you are visiting with us, uh, we're so glad you're here. And when the service is over, I'm going to be out here. Uh, if this is your first time with us, I would love to shake your hand and hug your neck and answer any questions that you have about Carpenter's Way or why we do what we do or the message. Um, if you've been here before and yet you have yet to get involved in a Bible study class, that's how you get involved in the body life. So at the table, when you exit here, there's a table to your left against the wall. There's a wood wall behind it. It says, welcome to CW. Um, that is where you go, and there are people there that would love to share a cup of coffee, coffee with you, answer questions that, you may, that may have arisen, but ultimately to get you to a Bible study class and tell you what's going on in other places. And we have a couple Bible studies that take place before this service, and most, uh, about seven others that take place after the service for adults. We've got them going on for children and, and preschool kids. So um, we want you involved in those things. That's where relationships are built. But uh, anyway, thanks for being here today. We're going to have a great time in the Word. I, phenomenal time studying. But before we get there, I want to highlight some things. First of all, Wednesday night, our new Wednesday night program for adults begins this Wednesday night. 
It, we're calling it koinonia because that is a Greek word used throughout the scriptures. It, it means fellowship, and it's more than just hanging out. It's, it's reasoning together. It's studying the scriptures together. And uh, we, I started thinking last year about some of the weaknesses of our ministry, and one is we don't have a formal opportunity for people to ask and interact with real questions based upon what's going on around us and getting into the Word of God within its context to find out what the Scriptures say about those things. And one of those things uh, is what we're starting with. We're doing a six-week uh, series uh, on sacred marriage. And what that is, it's not what marriage is. It is mari what biblical marriage is, which is different than a man and a woman. And it has introduced even more confusion when the gay marriage law is passed in this country, this is not an, an anti-gay marriage thing. This is what the Bible says about marriage. And uh, this is for married couples. It will encourage you. Or it will reorient how you look at your spouse. Uh, this is for single folks because this is a biblical view on marriage and, and help you rethink what you're looking for in a spouse, if that's what the Lord has for you. But this is a really important study. Uh, it'll involve about 10 or 15 minutes of video and then a conversation for about 30 or 45. Julie is going to help me teach this as well as, well as Kip Havard. Uh, and then when this one's over, we're going to do a few weeks of, of uh, we'll let you know as that comes close. But, it's, uh, but these are going to be four, five, six-week series uh, discussions um, on, on relevant issues going on in the world. And, uh, and this will allow us to go to the scriptures. That is the one underlining rule of everything we do. What do the scriptures have to say about this? Uh, so we're excited about that. That starts this Wednesday night at 6.30. And as always, there's ministries going on for children and students from 6th grade to 12th grade. And this is, this is for anyone. So there's stuff going on. So be involved in that. Uh, something else in your worship guide is a ministry participation survey. Lots of stuff going on today. Um, we are trying to figure out what ministries you are involved in outside of the church. This will allow us, our, our ministry, our mission investment team, to know what we're supporting, what we're not supporting, and ask how we can support you more. Uh, again, Carpenter's Way Baptist Church is not a building. It is you. You are Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Every time you say something you don't like about this church, you're bad-mouthing yourself. This is a family. This is our living room. I wish we could meet in my living room, but there's too many of you, and that's a good problem to have. Uh, but we come together here, and this place becomes the body of Christ when we gather here. We become the temple. And so having said that, uh, we want to support you, and, and we are fully aware that there's lots of stuff that you guys are involved in. So we would ask you to fill this out when you have time. You can drop it in the office. You can drop it, uh, put it on the tables as you leave where there's Bibles and offering plates. You can stick it in the offering plate. But we really, we really want to know, Robert, who is our pastor of missions, he wants to know what you're involved in so that we can be involved with you, pray for you, support you, encourage you. That is our job as pastors and, and leaders is to do that. So there's that. All right, one more thing. Um, church officer nominations. As you know, we have an annual business meeting come up. The church votes on, a, on several things. Uh, we vote on the budget, annual budget of the church, and you nominate elders and deacons in the church. Uh, and we pray for, through those names. And they are the leader bodies of the church. The elders oversee the spiritual health of the church, and the deacons oversee our physical plants, mission investment money uh, that goes out. Uh, this is a biblical model of church, and this is how we function. So these are very important positions, and we ask you to prayerfully consider them. And you need to and nominate people that are members of our church, but not just who have been here or who you like, but who are godly examples of where they're going to serve. Um, when, we, when you think about an elder, 
Uh, think about who's already eldering without the title. Who serves in those areas? We take your nominations as elders, we pray through them, and then, and then we select a couple to approach on, on behalf of the church and invite to be part. And then we all vote on them uh, when the annual business meeting comes in November. So please take that seriously and do that. Um, and on the back is, is information uh, on who's uh, terming off and who are already on those teams. So that's that. Kitty, why don't you come up? We are always looking for new ways to encourage uh, your ministry, to encourage service. And um, we have a couple rules as leaders at Carpenter's Way. We have no ministries without leaders. And if somebody decides they can no longer serve as a leader, we either, they either find somebody and train them or we shut that ministry down. We really have. It's shocking. I, I, I know lots of churches say that. We really do. Um, and when new ministries come up, and once or twice a month, somebody often comes in my office and says, I have a new idea for a ministry, and I listen to them for 30 or 40 minutes, and at the end I go, so when do you start? And they'll say, oh, I, don't, I thought this would be a good thing for you to do, at which time we put that in the file where all ideas without leaders go. And, um, so, but periodically, and a lot, at Carpenter's Way, we have people who have a great idea for a ministry that they are personally passionate and interested in, and we want to support them and encourage them, and this is one of those. In your worship guide, there's a green insert called Carpenter's Helping Hands that Kitty has been praying about and wanting to start for a while, and I asked her to come and describe it to you because we're about to start that. Okay, if you would look on the back of this form, that's for you to fill out and to turn in, and what this ministry is about is an age-old thing of giving back and just giving things to others, but what I like to do is find things that we already have and repurpose them. Just like if you would think this week, what do I have on hand that I could donate? And to my mind, uh, a box of flashlights that you bought on a, a, a discount price and you've got 20 of them. Well, guess what? We can find someone to give those to. So listing things that you might have on hand. Plus, we're going to do projects of making things, helping our children in the church, helping the ministries we already support, and also helping other community groups in the community. But we're going to get together. Those of us who like to gather and make things will do it. Those of you who are too busy or work or have some other reason for not gathering, you can actually adopt a project and take it home and work. So you can actually include your children in making things to help others, to teach them how to serve others. I'm just thankful uh, that I'm here and I've seen the generosity of this church body and I just think this is an unlimited um, way to help others in many ways. And pretty soon, in the next week or so, we will have our first meeting and there's nothing saying we can't have one at night for people who are workers who want to work at night. So it's just wide open right now. So if you would, just read over this form. And if there's a way you can help or volunteer, then we will start doing it. Thank you. Thank you, Kitty. All right. All right. Now Kevin Hudson's turn. Kevin is the chairman. I know he's here. I just talked to him. I've been waiting. Oh, there he is. Kevin is the chairman of our elder board and has an exciting uh, thing to uh, introduce, uh, to let you know about. And uh, Kevin? Good morning. I uh, wish to bring your attention to an insert that's also not a separate insert, but in your worship guide. If you'll look, we have an announcement that we wish to make as the elders. Um, and I'd like to start this off with a scripture. 
I'm going to be reading from Psalms 143 and verse 8. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I'm trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. So I wish for us um, as a church group to continually seek the Lord's guidance. We have been doing that as the elders for quite some period of time regarding the issue we're discussing this morning. That's uh, the land that the church owns that is located on Saddle Creek Drive. You'll see in the announcement that we have an offer to purchase this land. That's uh, 30 plus acres. It's a little less than 31 acres. And uh, we have the asking price of $340,000 and $373,000. And uh, that has been met. We're unanimously recommending to the members of Carpenter's Way uh, Baptist Church that we approve the sale of the property. It's required in our church bylaws that a vote uh, be by members only. And it'll take place uh, 10 days from now. And the official recommendation must be approved by 75% of those voting. We're going to hold this on Wednesday the 11th at 7.30 p.m. after the service. Uh, we ask that in these 10 days that you pray for guidance for the church, that if you have questions that you please ask a um, member of the elder board. And um, we do seek the Lord's guidance in this matter. Please continue to pray for the leadership of this church. We've just talked about all the persons that are involved in that, and there are multiple layers and levels of persons being involved in church leadership. We do ask your input. We do ask for your prayers. We do ask that as the leaders of this church that uh, we follow in the footsteps that God has laid before us. Thank you. Can I ask one more question of your counters? I, 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 would you share with them what is our intention to do with the money? Oh, that's important and wasn't well, just, said. Just so you know. <laughs> um, the, the purpose of the sale of the land at this particular point in time is that we can continue our process of renovations. We have an annex next door um, that this funds will allow us to proceed with that. That involves multiple um, classrooms that we're going to use and upgrade that. We also have some needs of upgrading regarding our fire alarm system within the church and some other uh, storage things in one of the buildings over here and a backdoor access to that. And we're looking at uh, being able to come very close and hopefully by the time that gets going, we'll have the entire um, funding available to do all of those things. But we can, uh, with the sale of this land, for sure proceed with all the annex uh, that has now been... Um, torn apart and back to the walls and is ready to move forward with the construction phase of that and this will allow us to do that okay thank you thanks Kevin so just real quick and I, I know we're taking a lot of time today but the preacher he can preach fast um, uh, where we are on our renovation for those of you who haven't been at Carpenter's Way very long we had bathrooms that were built in 1848 and uh, before the building was built, and uh, we have uh, about, a, we, we raised enough money to do them, and we are about, I'd say about 40% done. The ladies' restroom is done, and I have heard no complaints on that. This is not time to start, but I'll tell you what, uh, Goodwin, Strong, and Lassiter have overseen that, and then Chris with Langston Construction, they have done a phenomenal job. And uh, we, our big fear was, how are we going to keep bathrooms open while we're you know, I mean, because you guys drink a lot of coffee. So we were able to do that, and, and the men's restroom is almost done. I mean, it's about probably about 60 or 70% done. We expect that to open in two or three weeks, 
And I want to thank all those of you who remind me that we don't have a lot of men's urinals. We got that cut. We are aware. It's almost done. And what's cool is we've added to that project what was used to be the college room is going to be a, a nursing room, something we've never had. And we're excited about that because we had nine infants in our, in our uh, nursery last week. Way to go. That's church growth, ladies and gentlemen. And we love that, man. So, and we expect, there's like five uh, couples in our church that are pregnant, and uh, we, we love that. Keep it going. That's good. So we'll talk about that another time, on Wednesday night maybe. But anyway, this is exciting. We've never, the, the ladies, if, if, if you were needing to nurse a baby, you'd go into the office and people would come in, and go. And so we're very excited about that. Plus, doing this um, is allowing us to put in, uh, the city is requiring that we put in a fire alarm system, something we have not had. I know that's shocking, but we've been grandfathered in, but we're going to get all that done. So there's significant upgrades going on, and, and it's just such a blessing. Do you, do you realize when we're done with this project, we're going to be debt-free on that. So we're not only, yeah, we're not only debt-free with, we own this property, but we're, uh, if, if, if the sale goes through at this point, we're, we're not going to finish this until, until we have the money because we don't want debt. That's just not where we're at. And what a blessing. That's such a blessing, you guys, not to have debt. You, you know that, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward because it seems like a really good time to take an offering. Um, uh, <laughs> the, the one more thing I want to say is I want you to be aware that the elders and the deacons are aware this isn't our church, it's your church. That's why we wrote the bylaws the way we did. It's your vote. And there's going to be some people who may not like this and that we, we, we don't want to step on you and we respect that. That's why this goes to a vote. That, that's why we do that. And so uh, Wednesday night, uh, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday night at 7.30 at the end of our evening service, we're going to have a vote. So ask your questions. Share with us your thoughts. Uh, we'll do the best we can to answer them. We're just trying to do what's best for our family. We're like, you know, kind of parents just trying to do the best and we'll... Um, but we thank you for your encouragement, your prayer, and your support. This is an exciting endeavor, and uh, wow, what a cool thing. Now, for those of you who don't know, the adult discipleship wing that Kevin talked about is, is between the student center and here. That's been gutted, and we should open that up so you can see it sometime, but it's a big area, and uh, lots of classrooms are going to be in there, plus we're going to have a shower, because if you remember that our, our, uh, during the year, our VBS is, we have people who stay here, college students, and sometimes students stay here for, for retreats and stuff, so we're going to have a shower in there that can be used, and uh, it's, just, it's just so exciting, you guys, to take an old building and make it usable, so I, I want to thank, uh, again, Chris and uh, with Langston and, and Mark and Philip for all the hard work they've done. It's an exciting time at Carpenter's Way, and uh, we don't want an awesome facility. We want a usable facility. There is a difference, and we're not trying to make the best church building ever. We're just trying to make a church building that allows us to do what God calls us to do, which is to disciple children of God so they can go out and share the gospel, right? So it is what it is, and uh, what a wonderful thing. I, my favorite, I'm not going to say that, the favorite of many ladies in this church is the women's bathroom. I better stop talking. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward this time uh, to take our offering. Now, for those of you who are visiting, this is the one part of the service we ask you not to participate in. This is for those who attend here regularly. Uh, over the summer, as I mentioned before, we fell behind budget a little bit, and we've gradually been making up some of that. But uh, if you're able, Carpenter's Way folks, to make up a little bit, we would appreciate that. That helps us to, uh, to take care of the needs we need to. All these things we do, from Brazil to Guatemala, to children's ministry to kiddies ministry, these all cost money, and we want to 
We want to be faithful servants of all that. Plus, you like air conditioning. It's hard to open these windows. So be faithful. Be faithful. Be participating. And uh, again, if you're visiting, please don't give. We just want you to be focused on Jesus this morning. We're going to have a wonderful time of worshiping in the Word. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful things you're doing in our church family. New ministries and new people. Uh, people who've been here for a long time who are growing in their relationship with you. Times in the Word. Thank you for even the opportunity we have to vote as a church on selling our property to, to, uh, to just be able to pay, uh, to finish this renovation that's so needed. And uh, Father, we, we thank you for the facility that allows us to be cool in the summer and dry in the winter. And thank you for the people that make this place alive. And I thank you for those that are here this morning and watching on the internet. Would your Holy Spirit speak to us? I, this was a very wonderful week of study for me. I, I just... Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to have a hard time getting through it because I was reminded who you are. And I, I pray that somehow through your word and the Holy Spirit that your people would be reminded who you are. May all the business that we just discussed, may the distraction of it be put to the side. And now may we focus on you as Chad and his team lead us in worship and as we open the word. Lord, we love you. We're so glad you love us. Now focus our eyes on you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As the offering plate passes, if you want to stand and worship, you're more than welcome. Once a sinner, now I'm paid. Once condemned, now I'm made free. He turned my darkness into light. Now I see Once in ashes there's beauty Once in pieces I'm complete My Redeemer now resides He lives in me
Jim Kennedy, but I'm going to read this for you. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. skill to understand what God has will, what God has planned and I only know it is right hand stands one who is my savior I take him at his word and deed Christ died to save me, this I read. And in my heart I find a need For Him to be my Savior That He would leave His place on high And come for sinful men to die strange so once did I before I knew my Savior my Savior loves my Savior lives my Savior is always there for me my God he was my God he is my God is always gonna be my Savior loves my Savior lives my Savior is always there for me my God he was my God living, dying, let me breathe. My strength, my solace from the spring. That he lives to be my king. Once died to be my savior. That he would leave his place on high. And come So 
God, we thank you. We praise you as we just sang, Lord. 
You were sent to save the young and the old. And God, we stand amazed that you love people like us. We stand amazed, Lord, that you came, you lived your life among us, the frustration of dealing with us, and, and you gave your life so that we can, so that we can be your own. And Lord, as we read through your word and we, we think of things like Ephesians that tell us that somehow you take great pleasure in looking at us and seeing us as your kids, it blows us away. And God, as we are learning and relearning about who you are and as we read through the scripture, we ask, Lord, that you would just continue to open our eyes, you continue to open our heart to who is this man? Who is this man that we claim as our own? Who is this man that we say we follow? And we ask, Lord, that you would just do that this morning, that you would continue to show us and open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus had had a long day. The day began with the Pharisees coming and daring him to prefer, perform one more miracle. And if he would do a super impressive, undeniable, God-empowered miracle, they too would become his followers, they said. To understand how unhinged the Pharisees and religious leaders had become at this point, two years around into his ministry, they had just gone through the crowds, this crowd of people, and told them that his miraculous ability was demonic. Now they're challenging him to do one more miracle. While all this is going on, his family had been hovering around, waiting all day while he was inside of this packed house ministering to the lost, arguing or wrestling with the Pharisees and religious leaders, and they're hovering outside, and they become impatient, and they send people in to tell Jesus that they're waiting for him. And if you recall, the reason they're waiting outside is because they think that he's lost his mind. They think that he has become a religious zealot, and he has lost his sanity, so they're trying to get him outside so that they can take him by force. After rebuffing his biological family, and debating with these religious leaders, Jesus is tired. So he tells the disciples after this ministry that he's going to go to the seashore. So he takes off out of the house and he goes to the shore and he finds there even a larger crowd than was with him in the city. And as Jesus does time and time again, instead of trying to sneak away from these people, instead of trying to hide, he actually gets into the disciples' boat, one of them, and he preaches parables from the boat. For hours he teaches on the seeds, explaining why some follow him and some fall away. He told the parable of the hidden treasure of a pearl of great price. He tells the parable of the fishing net and parable of weeds and many others, the scriptures tell us. When he finally stops teaching, the disciples who are in the boat with him begin to query him. They begin to question him. Why, Jesus? Oh, why do you teach in parables? You know, if you want these people to follow, they need to understand what you're talking about. And the, and, and the parables weren't doing the job. Jesus responded with Luke 8, 18. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, and the Greek word here means hold on to, own, experience, or even wear. It's to put it on. To those who don't listen to me teach my parables and put it on and, and wrestle with it, even what they think they understand will be taken from them. In Jesus' first major message to the crowds, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount from Mark, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this in verse 7, keep on asking 
and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find it. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. One of the illustrations that Jesus used that day in the boat was in Matthew 13, 45, and 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This is a story that has two sides to it. One, he's talking about God sending his most precious possession, Jesus, to, to purchase the pearls that he would draw to himself that would be his children. But the other is an instruction on seeking God. Jesus didn't just come looking for fans or religious partners. He was here to save and develop those who were searching for truth and a relationship with God like they would a great treasure. Jesus came to make it possible for people to become family with God by having that thing that separates us from God's sin dealt with, removed by paying for it himself. He did not come to die for our sins so that we could become Baptist. He did not come to die for our sins so that we could become evangelical. He did not come to die for our sins so that we could be a large moral movement. He came so that people who wanted not to be judged for their sins by the ultimate judge could be forgiven, could have their sins transferred from themselves to him. That's why he came. He did not come to fulfill man's dreams, but to fulfill God's dreams. And his dream, according to what was just read this morning by Heather, was that we would become his adopted children. Ephesians chapter 1. This was always about a relationship. So let me be clear as we continue our search of Jesus, who is this man, and what was his message, which I think most of us now who have been here will agree is not usually the message we hear preached from pulpits on Sundays. To be clear, if you do not believe yourself to be a sinner, if you do not believe that by your nature you are under the wrath of God, Jesus is not who the one you're looking for. You are looking for something or someone else. If you only want a good life, there are plenty of pe people offering that to you. It's a lie, but they're out there. Jesus doesn't offer that. If you are seeking forgiveness, if you're seeking mercy, if you know you need grace because you know you're in serious spiritual trouble, then Jesus is the one you're looking for. He is the way to a right relationship with God. He is the one who came to give you that. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life. Not just in this life, but in the next. It's eternal life. And that's through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Salvation, forgiveness, a genuine relationship with God that's personal is available to you through Jesus. It is. I implore you this morning, in the way Jesus was imploring the crowds, and the reason he told parables, seek, ask, knock, chase, run, beg, plead, look at the scriptures, figure it out for yourself because you are being lied to on a regular basis. If, on the other hand, you are looking for somebody to affirm your sinful nature, go elsewhere. Jesus will not leave you as you are. He came to destroy what doesn't work and rebuild it in the name of his son through the power of the Holy Spirit.
the same power that resurrected Christ. Run to Jesus. What a day Jesus had had, and he was tired. When he left that packed house from wrestling with the Pharisees and the religious rulers, avoiding his biological family who wanted to kidnap him, and teaching the crowds on the seashore, Jesus was tired. And after ministering to the crowd that night, well, let's pick up the story in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I, I encourage you to bring your Bibles because once every 14 years our technolo technology breaks down. Uh, it was interesting last week. I just want you to know I, I am not. Jeff and I were talking this week. We're not the kind of guys who see demons behind everything, but last week was so satanically distracted. Four or five different things took place that had no connection with each other. It never happens. And he came back. He was away doing some responsibilities with his family, and he came back, plugged everything in, and everything's worked so far. I just want you to know, the stuff we're studying, Satan doesn't want you to know. He does not want you to know this. Why? Because it will set you free. It will set you free. It will set you free from the lies of preachers. It will set you free from religion. It will set you free from slavery to sin. It will set you free. Seek, ask, and knock. Seek, ask, and knock. And if you hear something that doesn't make sense to you, seek, ask, and knock. Confront us. Come talk to me. You don't like what you hear? Get into the scriptures and defend your point of view. This is not my truth. This is God's truth. This is his word. Okay, another message, another day. Time is short. After ministering to the crowd, Mark 4, 35 says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, uh, although other boats followed. As we've stated a couple times already, because context mattered, Jesus had a busy, exhausting few days. It was late, and it was time to move to his next appointed time of ministry, place of ministry, and he wanted some sleep. If you don't think Jesus got tired or sad, just wait. You're going to see it. Jesus tries to escape, escape, that's not an English word, escape to the mountainside a lot, but he finds crowds where he goes. He tries to escape and pray. He tries to meet with his father. He tries to get along with the disciples, and there's crowds there. So instead of hiding, he ministers to them. That is upcoming in our study. He instructs his 12 closest disciples, you know them as apostles, several of which had been fishermen in their previous life, to get him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It must have made them feel good to be of some practical use. I mean, up to this point in ministry, even though he was teaching them and training them and told them to go tell other people, most of the time what they had done is answered questions while he's teaching of the rude Pharisees and the religious leaders. They had uh, brought food to Jesus and their team when they needed to. They kind of watched and observed but this they could do. This they were ready for. When it came to being on the Sea of Galilee, they must have felt good about it because they knew they could be used. Um, so they thought. 437. But soon, about probably halfway across the eight-mile-wide lake, a fierce storm rises. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. When, the Greek word for high there means high, big. Major scary storms aren't uncommon on the Sea of Galilee, from what I understand. The mountains surrounding the sea have, are an elevation. The peaks are 2,000 feet high. The lake actually sits at 680 feet below sea level and rests in a channel that often functions as a wind tunnel. It is not uncommon in the most fierce storms for the waves to reach up to 50 feet choppy. 
These men were used to traveling the lake, but a storm like this was not something they had wanted to face, but face it they did. I want to remind you before we continue through this that the disciples were not asked if they were prepared for such an adventure. Jesus never once said, hey guys, I'd really like to go to the other side. My father told me we need to minister on the other side. If you wouldn't mind taking me over there, and by the way, in the middle you're going to have a storm. He didn't tell them that. He just told them to take him to the other side of the lake. Didn't ask him if they were prepared emotionally or spiritually. They were to told to prepare previously for ministry that would take place later. But now, as the boat is filling with water, they're freaked out. The next day's ministry is not the first thing in their, night, in their mind. Surviving the night is. And what's God doing? Verse 38, sleeping. You can laugh. At this point, I, and, and I'll, I'll get here in a moment, you've been here. He's sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a rowing cushion. The disciples woke him up. Shouting is how it's translated. Teacher, rabbi, don't you even care that we're going to drown right now? They're mad. They're not panicked. They're mad. Of the four Gospels, three tell the story, so it's impacted their life deeply. And all three Gospels, the Greek word used for shouting infers their rage. They don't tap him on the shoulder or quietly wake him or let the waves splash on him. They scream at him. And the question is exactly what they meant. It was not a creative way to ask the question. It was just the question. Don't you even care? Excuse me, I left fishing for this. I left my family to be with you for this. I'm getting ridiculed. We've got these Pharisees that we know from past time. They're questioning us, and we're going to die in the middle of the night and at mile four in the middle of this sea? They're mad. And what are you doing while we bail, while we take our deep breaths so that we're not overcome by waves? You're sleeping? <clears throat> Verse 39, the beginning. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Kevin, could you leave that up there? Uh, the Greek word that Jesus uses is actually one word, silence, be still, is translated. It's pephimoso. That Greek word actually means be muzzled and remain so. <laughs> Just, just to remind you, you've got 12 fools and one idiot, <laughs> evil idiot, and Jesus, king of the kings, who they have watched, let me remind you, they have seen him turn water to wine, heal a guy at the pool of Bethsaida, They've healed, he's healed a large number of people in crowds, he supernaturally walked through a crowd that was trying to throw him off a cliff. He has healed a crippled guy who was lowered through the roof of a house. He is, they have watched as he read minds and answered questions that had yet to be asked. He had, uh, let's see, he had healed a Gentile military officer servant. They have heard him teach. He has responded to questions in a way that only God could respond. He has proven that he understands the Old Testament in a way nobody else but God could understand as if he authored it. And now they are questioning him as to whether or not he doesn't care about them. So, back to our story. 
don't you care we're drowning? Pepe Mosso. Doesn't say he shouted, doesn't say he screamed, doesn't say he was panicked. He just said be muzzled and remain so. And verse 39b says, suddenly, and the Greek word means right then. That's right. <laughs> Miraculously, it didn't gradually slow down. It didn't happen over the next few hours. It immediately, the wind stopped, and there was great calm. I add throwing all of them on top of each other on the other side of the boat. Because you know what they were doing. They were bucketing. They were stabilizing themselves. They have time to yell at Jesus. They are freaking out. And now all of a sudden, he just wakes up. He rubs his eyes, and he says, Pepe Mosso. And it does. And there was great calm. And they're on top of each other. And Andrew's at the bottom going, oh, no. Then Jesus looked at them in verse 40, and he says, why are you afraid? <laughs> Dumb question, God. Do you still have no faith in me? Again, they had seen him turn water to wine, which doesn't happen over time. Heal a guy at the pool of Bethesda. Heal a large number of people in crowds. Supernaturally walk through and away from a crowd who had grabbed him to throw him off a cliff and kill him. Heal a crippled guy who was lowered through the roof of a house. Read minds. Say your sin is forgiven to multiple people. Respond to unspoken thoughts. Heal a Gentile military officer's servant. And they hear him teach, along with many other things John tells us happened that he couldn't record. So it's a fair question. Why are you afraid? Why do you still have no faith? He had told them to go to the other side of the lake. He had told them that there would be ministry there for them. He had told them that they one day would be arrested and stand before judges and kings, but that he would be with them at that time and they would know what to say. He had told them of his plans, his own plans and their plans. They had seen his power in their own lives and the lives of those around them. It really was a reasonable question. It was not sarcasm. Why are you afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? Do you still not trust me? The problem is they really, 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 verse 41. So let me put this in, can we, we're going to leave this up here, Kevin. So just, just to make clarity here, we have learned this story since we were two months prior to birth. We've been, most of us in church, we, we heard through our mother's belly buttons the story. So when you read this, who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey. It's like, wow, what a, what a wild finish. I, I want you to understand that these are real people. This is a real event. This really happened, and this is a real conversation, and God just actually calmed the storm. And they're asking each other this very real question on top of each other. Who is this man? Even the wind themselves obey him. Who is this guy? This is a whole new level. I mean, making the crippled walk, that's child's play. I mean, come on. Saving your own life? That's nothing. Turning water to wine? Any super conservative anti-wine drinking fundamental Baptist can do that because it didn't have time to ferment. That is so stupid. I just got to take a shot at that again. 
He turned water to wine. Another discussion, another day. But that's all child's play to them because he just calmed the storm. These guys were really afraid. They really thought their life was coming to an end. They liked his message. They believed he was going to do something great. They wanted to be a part of it. They, probably, they even believed that he would save them. But they didn't really, really know what he was capable of because they didn't know who he was. Is it possible that his own followers, these men who had so, given up so much, is it possible that they actually really, really didn't understand what it meant that Jesus was God? I am pretty sure that by now in the story, you have firmly planted yourself in the middle of it. You're thinking, I wonder if I, had, <clears throat> if I would have freaked out in this event. Probably if I had the New Testament, I wouldn't. And yet I'd like to remind you that you probably have. David did. This sounds like a lot of the Psalms. Where are you, God? Are you going to let me just drown here? There are times you can remember in your life, most likely if you've been saved more than four hours, where you were walking with God and you were trusting Him. You said, I trust you with my eternity, but you came to a place where something in this life that didn't seem fair or right or was, was just so, so scary, so overwhelmingly scary and looked so dire that you said, I've been praying now for weeks on this. I wake up in the middle of the night praying <clears throat> and I don't hear from you. Are you even awake? Do you even care? Because the truth is, when life is out of control, we come to terms with the fact that we don't really know who God is. I mean, that's why we're doing this study, because I don't think, I think we've turned Jesus Christ into a Baptist evangelical or assembly of God past our guy. I think, I think we think of him as a great worship leader or a super cool social justice warrior or a conservative American. Whatever we've turned him into, I've got news for you. He is not any of those things. He's God. He, he isn't white and he isn't black. He's God. He's whatever color he chose to be when he came. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what color he is. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what thing we're doing in this life that we want him to be a part of. The question is, are we a part of what he's doing in this life? You see, when the disciples, when Jesus said to the disciples, drop your nets and follow me, what he was saying is drop your life and follow me. When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, he's saying, drop your desires and follow me. When Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to pick up your cross, he means it. That's what they were asked to do here. They weren't told, and I know, I know, okay, this is, we're here in this safe room, it's dry, we have air conditioning, so we can be a little critical of them. It may be unfair for humans, but the truth is, Jesus told them to go to the other side of the sea. He did not say, go to the middle of the sea, and if there's a storm, panic. Don't, and get mad at me, and then wake me up. I need sleep. He didn't say that. He said, keep rowing. I want to remind you that this is not uncommon for God. If you remember when Moses finally gets the Israelites to this edge of the Sea of Galilee, the, or Sea of Galilee, the Red Sea, doesn't matter where they were, it's a body of water. Um, they get to the, to the side of the Red Sea. I'm really a theologian. I've, I've spent lots of time studying. But they get to the side of the Red Sea, and they're standing there, and the Egyptians are surrounding them, and God has put a cloud between the Egyptian military and the Jewish people, the Hebrew nation. And the Hebrew nation says to Moses, you should have left us in Egypt. We'd rather live in Egypt than die at the edge of the Red Sea. Moses complains to God, oh God, what have you done? They hate me. I told you they would. They don't like you either. What are we doing? You've got to save us. Do you remember what God said to him? Stop praying and walk. Wow, that's a message on prayer. 
Anytime you hear a series on prayer that doesn't include that message, they're not telling you the whole story. Because sometimes prayer is an excuse not to act. Sounds religious, sounds spiritual. These guys weren't told to wake Jesus up. They were told to keep rowing until they got to the shore. Well, come on, Mark, you're expecting too much from them, <laughs> probably. I'm just like them. My gosh, we get a little behind in budget and I freak out. Ah! I, it's, I don't do that. That was too overdramatic, that. I, that felt weird even coming out of my mouth there. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weird world in which we live. I committed myself. I just was back at Moody Bible Institute a couple weeks ago. My niece is going to school there, and I got to go back and help her move into her dorm. And I was reminded that I don't work for you. I gave my life to Christ for his service in that location. I forget. My job is not to keep this building air-conditioned. It's to tell you the truth about God from his word, not from a Baptist angle or an Assemblies of God angle or a Mark angle, but a God angle. And I looked at this story this week and I went, oh man, how many times have I asked, who is this man? Come on, God, what are you doing? How could you do this to me? The truth is, we don't really know him. We don't. I mean, we know him, we're saved. That's not what I'm saying. We just really don't know what he's capable of. We don't know. So in the time that I have remaining, which is two and a half hours, <laughs> the Bible study leaders are like, no way. I want to remind you of who you're following. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus Christ, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. See, that's where the confusion comes in. Because we've reduced him to a painting on a wall or an image in a shroud or a guy in our boat. Hey, Jesus, I'm counting on you here. I just got diagnosed with cancer. Now heal me. Nothing wrong with that prayer. Jesus prayed that he wouldn't die, but he ended it with not my will because he knew his Father's will was better than his human will. We didn't understand it in John 10, 30 when Jesus said to the disciples, I and my Father are one. We can't wrap our minds around what he said in John 14 when he says, have I been with you all this time, Philip? you still don't know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least because of the work you've seen me do. This Jesus we talk about, that we talk to, this Jesus we follow, this Jesus we're following, wasn't merely a rabbi, although he taught rabbinical truth. Or some healer, although he clearly heals. He's, listen, listen to what the Father says to him out of Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus, the God the Father, says to Jesus, 
Your throne, O God, endures forever. This is very emotional. I had a great week in the Word. I have forgotten Him. Your throne, O God, endures forever. Your rule with a scepter of justice, and you love justice, and you hate evil. Therefore, O God, this is the Father. This is the Father speaking to the Son. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you. You don't think there's a trinity? Your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He says to the Son also, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth. God the Father calls Jesus Lord. You laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing, but you are always the same. God, you live forever, the Father said of Jesus. John, who wrote five books in the New Testament, who walked with Jesus nearly three years, he was one of the earliest disciples, records this when he finally sees Jesus in his glory. Now, before I read this to you, I want to remind you that John was one of the angry guys in the boat that day. He's one of the guys looking at Jesus going, don't you care that we're going to drown? Hey, we're drowning here. What are you doing sleeping? It was the Lord's day. And I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. It said, write in the book everything you see. And it said to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. Do you realize how much he's struggling to describe what he sees here? He's using the word like. It doesn't say that his hair was white. It just says it was white like snow. It was, his eyes were like on fire. You guys, he's writing this for us. His feet were like polished bronze. You know, the kind that's been refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like the mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. More on that next Sunday. And his face, his face, it was, um, it was like the sun in its brilliance. When I saw him, and I add, when I recognized him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he came over to me and he laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. You know, John, I was dead. But look, I'm now alive. I, I hold the keys of death and the grave. This one who saved your soul, my friends, who loves you enough to allow people to kill him for our sin so that we could do this in this old, air-conditioned, run-down building. 
this one we get frustrated with after he's, all he's done for us and all we've seen him do. This is what his living room looks like. Revelation 4. I saw a throne in heaven and someone was sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. I guess like Jasper and Carlion. And the glow of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. 24 elders. 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder. And in front of the, th the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, uh, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The front of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, now pause for a second, take a deep breath. This is weird. But the point isn't so that we can draw up what it must look like. The point is because of what they are saying, these weird creatures. Any one of them walk in here this morning, I'm going to have to convince half of you not to bow to worship them or plead for mercy. Because our value system is fear, not trust. These weird creatures and the 24 elders and the angels around the throne, they keep on saying at looking at Jesus in his glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty the one who was and who is and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, you know, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and they worship the one sitting on the throne, you know, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before him and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and they exist because you created what pleased you. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll and it was sealed with seven seals and I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud, a loud voice, who is worthy to break those seals? Who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And John lost control. He began weeping bitterly, it tells us, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders came over to him and said to him, Stop weeping. Look. Look, John. The lion and the tribe of Judah and heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scrolls and the seven seals. And pay attention to what he sees. Then I saw the lamb. Not the lion, he saw the lamb. Because to the child of God, he's not a lion. He's a lamb. And he looked as if he had been slaughtered. There's that question we ask, is there scars on Jesus? Now you know. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represented the seven-souled Spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped forward, and the Lamb took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. 
And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they hold, held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayer of God's people. Sometimes it feels like my prayers just hover at the ceiling. No, they don't. They enter incense bowls in heaven, and it brings him joy. Some of you are into natural oils. This is the most wonderful fragrance to God. It's the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And these were the words of all in heaven. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed for people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become the kingdom of priests for our God. <laughs> That's us. And they will reign on the earth. And I looked again and I heard the voices of a thousand and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped the lamb. And this is the real identity of the man sleeping in the boat that we go, don't you care? Don't you care? And his response is, I care more than you could ever possibly imagine because you don't know who I am. You still think it's about this life and living. Well, I have news for you. It's not. It's about eternity, and I've got that in this scroll, and I own it. Come to me, all you who labor in a heavy rate laden, and find rest. We don't know who he is. We pretend to because we teach Sunday school and preach, but we have no idea who he is. Our mental picture is that painting, and it's not who he is. I assure you that's not who he is. Holy, holy, holy is the one we call Jesus. He is the one to whom Jehovah God the Father bows the knee. He is the one who came to seek and save us so that we could gather together this morning and say stupid things to each other. Like when I get to heaven... I'm going to talk with God, and I'm going to ask him why he allowed this to happen in my life. How dare we? Or a more common East Texas phrase, I refuse to worship a God who would do that. Then don't, because he's not asking permission. He's God. He's God. The one who allowed the Pharisees to question him and the disciples to wake him in a rage and you to question. But in all that, he never once sends you to hell because he loves you. And his plan is to fulfill his plan. And that involves redeeming us. The only ending to this message is to worship. That's all that's left. If you don't know our Lord today, then meet him not through an altar call or a baptismal pool, but you cry out to him. I don't know what to do. Then do what you know to do. Do what the thief on the cross did. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. For the rest of us, 
Listen to this.
exists for him, not for us, not for our glory, not so that we can keep Christianity going through the ages. That's not why we do this. We don't trust him because that's how people get saved. We trust him because he's earned it. We're asking our question now. We're on our 27th week, and we're not even halfway done. Who is this man? Now you know. Whether you've got cancer whether you make a million dollars a year, whether you don't make enough money to pay your bills, make him your ruler. Bow the knee. Make him your Lord, Christians. You've done what the disciples did. Now do what they did after the resurrection. Be willing to die for this one. He's worth it. Because the big win for the child of God, it is death. Because then the resurrection we can't lose. We just forget that. And in case you're not clear, if we renovate this building for cash and it burns down, I'll see you in the ashes the next week. Because this building means very, very little. It just means we get to drink coffee in air conditioning when it's 100 degrees out. But our worship of God, we should do that half-starved, and in ripped clothes because he is worthy of worship. Lord Jesus, give us a glimpse of who you really are. Thank you for forgiving these disciples their arrogance. Thank you for forgiving us our arrogance. And now, Father, we will pick up our cross and follow you, even if it's to the grave, because there we will be resurrected. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Bible study will start in five.